Well, good morning, Swerve, once again. I'm glad, as Danny said, that you guys are with us today. Um, you're all in the right place, uh, church, because we've got a bunch of liars here. No way you guys are that excited about work. Or am I wrong? Come on. Like, you guys really gave it up for work, and that's pretty cool. Uh, but a little shocking to me. I'm not sure if you guys are being honest, or maybe you guys are just being sarcastic. Was that it? Since I was a sarcastic little, yeah! Right? Because, I mean, not really. That's good. That's the man you want up here actually preaching this message now. <laughs> Um, yeah, man, work is good. And so we're going to talk about that today. Um, as Danny mentioned, it's been an exciting series. Um, kind of shocking to me how relevant and how timely this series has been. Um, Danny and I, we pray, and really Danny has much, um, and he presents what he feels God is putting on our hearts and what series we should be doing a couple of months down the road. And um, God is so good. Like, he always perfectly places the right topic, the right sermon, the right scripture in front of us. And it's been evident in this series. Um, I've been shocked. To hear um, how excited you guys have been about the series, the discussions, Tiff, Ruth, right, at Life Groups have been great um, around marriage, around husbands and wives and the, the roles, um, even around family and parenting. And even following our services, I've been really um, excited and, and surprised about the amount of people who've come over and spoken to me about your, your experiences, your struggles, your victories in these topics. And so it's been a really great uh, sermon series. God is good. He knows what we need and when we need it, right? Amen. Amen. And so today we're going to talk about, as Danny mentioned, and you guys agree, probably one of our greatest joys of what uh, Gordo over there said is it's something he's excited about. It's work. All right. We all love to work. Right. It's something, though, that in America we actually do more of than any other industrialized country. You guys know that um, industrialized countries such as Germany and the UK and, the, and Japan. We work more um, than those countries. Surprisingly, like then Japan, yeah, we work more than the Japanese, we work more than the Germans. And so a recent article published by a uh, personal finance website called Wallet Hub, uh, one of their writers, their finance writers, his, his name is Adam McCain, he actually did a study and they did a study together where they uh, listed 116 of America's largest cities. And what they wanted to do was find out which city was the hardest working city. All right, which city out of all these 116 large uh, cities in America, which ones are the hardest working cities? And how did they do that? What they did is they looked at the cities and they compared their employment rates. They compared the hours, the average hours that they, they worked um, and the workers who had multiple jobs. And so they took those three um, components and they studied them and they came up with a list of 116 largest cities and ranked them from one through 116 from the hardest working city to the laziest city, all right? Um, and so where do you think New York ranked in this, guys? Throw out a number. In the top 10, right? Definitely. You're going to go safe and say top 10. Um, top five, anybody? You thinking the top five? New York, top five? top five? We got some top fives. All right. Well, let's go. New York ranked number five, actually. Number five. So New York, yes. All right. Um, but you want to know what the hardest working city was surprising to me is. The hardest working city in America, according to the study, was San Francisco, California. Right, followed by Fremont, California, Jersey City, number three, and then number four, anyone want to guess number four? Washington, D.C. was number four, and then number five, again, New York. Dead last, anyone, just for fun, which is the laziest city <laughs> out of the large Hawaii? No, that's a good one. Probably, I would have guessed that. Columbia, South Carolina, down south, down south. And my wife, that's one of the reasons probably why she wants to uh, move down south and be that southern girl, just that laid back, right, um, uh, amazing pace of life down there in the south. But um, today what I want to do again is look through two things as we discuss work. All right, this topic, um, if you guys heard Danny read that portion of scripture, I'm sure 
There were some alarms that went up. I'm sure there were some questions like, what is he talking about there? We're going to get there, I promise. But what I want to do first is I want to answer two questions. The first one, we have to lay down some groundwork till we get to the second question. That first question is, why do we work? Why do we work? The second question is, once we figure out why we work, is to then look at, as believers, how then should we work? How then should we work? Two very important questions that we are going to discuss today. And honestly, it's a topic that, man, if we had life groups on Wednesday, it's a, it's a discussion that really can go into so many different areas and we can spend a lot more time just talking about work. All right, but I think what we're, the time we're going to spend um, today, I think God is, God is good and he's given us exactly what we need to hear today. Um, and so I am, I'm confident that you guys will benefit, will benefit from it and will be encouraged because I was uh, encouraged and I benefited from it in my study as I uh, prepared for this sermon. As most of you know, I do work a nine-to-five job. I work for the Social Security Administration. It is um, a job that I do. I work in Inwood Hill right past Washington, uh, Washington Heights, the last stop on the A train. So I know what it is to hop on the train here in New York every morning, get on the train, and ride all the way to the last stop next to your best buddies in New York, right? Yeah. All right? They're the greatest smell and the kindest people. I know what that's like. And uh, so I take the train. I know the joys of work and how excited we are to get to the office and start what God has called us to do, that work that, work that we've been given. And so... Um, I want to start off then with knowing that I had that experience, you guys were on the same boat here, uh, with, a, with a statement. And this statement might get me some puzzled looks. Uh, some of you might be angry right out back from what I'm going to say and like disagree completely. Some of you might see it but just be a little bit confused. Um, and uh, some of you might just think I'm crazy and again, work with me here. I think it's something that we need to look at and fully understand if we're going to discuss work. All right, here's the statement, simple one, work is a gift from God. Okay, work is a gift from God. Now, some of you can say, yeah, I see that. I see that when you're talking about a doctor or a nurse or anyone who works in the medical field. I can see how that's a gift from God, right? As they minister to people who are hurting in pain, who are suffering, who have an injury. I can see how that type of work is a gift from God. Or parents might say, I can see teachers as a gift from God, right? Because they take my kids for majority of the day, 10, 10, 10 months out of the year, and my kids are out of the house, and that's a gift from God. And you can see that, right? All right. Some of you may say, well, yeah, I can see the pastor or the, the missionary, they're gifts from God because they're doing God's work. They're the ones in the mission. They're the ones doing God's work. And so we can see that as a gift from God. But what I want to challenge us with today, and I want you to see, is all of our work is a gift from God. That means, think of your very first job. I don't want to share what my first job it might get me in trouble. I'll do it anyway because I just opened my mouth. The first, <laughs> the first job I had, it was not... Good, not legal, is I worked at age at 14, I worked in the liquor store, all right, in the basement, stocking the liquor, bringing the liquor up, all right, and that was my job. And so, and I delivered some of the liquor, right, to, to, the, to people who were you know, ordering the, the, their bottles and whatnot. And so that was my first job. Um, how could you say that's a gift from God, right? But think of your very first job, all right, we're going to work with this, guys. It's a little rough, but hey, we'll get there. All right. I want us to see that all of our work is a gift from God. And, and, and if you're struggling to understand this, I get that. Um, and I think we, I get it because culture has, like, has, has caused us to really have this, this view of work. And that's what we've been doing uh, throughout this series. right? We've been looking at how culture has spoken into our marriages, how has culture spoken into our parenting, how we raise our kids. And we said that culture is going to tell us how we should do that. But as believers, we've also said that we need to lie on and rely on the word of God, right? That the word of God is unchanging. That the word of God gives us a standard for our marriages, for our husbands and wives, for our parents, for our children. That culture just doesn't give us because culture will say it today and tomorrow will be a totally different story, right? 
right? How we raise our kids tomorrow will be totally different. What they say today is acceptable. All right, just think back to your parents, how they raised you and how it was acceptable in the culture. And you see today, you dare not raise your kids the same way, right? It's like it's totally different. And so we want to rely on the God's word. And the same thing goes with work. Work, God has a lot to say about. And I want us to look. If you have your bulletins now, it's the time for you to take it out. Um, in your bulletins, there are some notes. If you are a note taker, I apologize because unlike the other weeks, the back is completely full as well. So you can't really write on the back. Just kind of go along the side if you love to take notes. Um, we got a lot to do. All right. So let's go right into it. The first question again was what? Why do we work? Why do we work? So the first thing I want us to look at, we work because what? God is a working God. Let's get this up there. God is a working God. All right. Now, something that has been wrongly taught and falsely believed throughout in the church, um, I believe that at some point was that work is a product of the fall of man. And that's not true. We believe that work is a punishment because of Adam and Eve's sin, that therefore their sin and sin entered in. And so now we have work. Work is not a product of sin. And I want us to look at that closely. And we're going to go back to Genesis 2. Genesis 2, if, you're, if you've been in the church, you know this is prior to the fall. Okay, this is prior to, this, to sin entering in. This is the very first book of the Bible, and we're going in chapter 2. So this is the second chapter. The fall is not introduced to chapter what? 3. Okay, and so we know that this is prior to the fall, and we're reading about the creation of the world. And so prior to sin. Look at me in verse 2. It's in your notes. I'll put it up here on the screen as well. Genesis 2, verses 2 to 3. On the seventh day, God had completed his work. work. That he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all of his work that he had done. God blessed the seventh day and had declared it holy. And if you didn't catch it for on it, he rested from all of his work of creation. All right. Work is not a product of the fall. Work did not begin because of sin. But what did we just see? Work is actually a product of creation. Work is a product of creation, and God, we know, does not stop working. He has not rested from his work after creation. God is still working today, amen? God is still very much at work in our lives, ain't he? God is still very much at work in redeeming the lost. God is still at work today in redeeming fallen man. And look at what Jesus says in the Gospel of John regarding work. It's in your notes as well. John 5, 17, he says, my father is still working, and... I am also working. Or I am working also. You see how God is a working God. Jesus works and he's a working savior. Jesus came to do the will of the father. And so because our God is a working God, we work. Our God is a working God. And therefore, number two, we work because we are image bearers of God. We work because we are image bearers of God. So all of a creation is a product of God's work first. And now our work, listen, is a product of creation. Okay? Again, it was not given as a punishment as though some of us might say, hey, my job's a punishment. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. But work was not given as a punishment. But God works and we work because we're created in his image. We're created in his image. I believe it's also in your notes. Genesis 1, 26, 27. God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, 
the livestock, the whole earth, the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created him in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. So we're created in the image of God, both of us, male and female. And then we can read on in chapter 2 and see what does God do to Adam. Again, this is prior to the fall. It's in your notes. What does God do for Adam? He, it says in Genesis 2.15, the Lord took the man and he placed him in the garden of Eden to what? Work. To work it and to watch over it. You see, I can't, I can't stress the importance of this groundwork that we're doing here. All right, before we get into why we work, well, how do we work, we got to understand why do we work. All right, we work because our God is a working God, and we work because we're image bearers of God, and therefore we also work. If God works and puts Adam to work prior to his fall in the garden, then work is not, again, a product of the fall. It cannot be. All right, but what is then the product of the fall? All right, the stress that we have in work, the opposition that we face at work, right? The, the hard and tough uh, grind that work causes, right? That we have to grind, we have to earn our money. That is a product of the fall. And your attitude, my attitude, our attitudes towards work is a product of the fall. All right, those are the products of the fall. But again, we work because God works. And two, we work because we're image bearers of God. And the last thing we got to talk about today in our notes before we get to the second question is we work because in our work, we reflect our creator. Go ahead and fill that in. What's the very purpose of our lives? Why do we exist? As believers, we know that we exist to bring glory to God. We know that we exist to bring him glory and to enjoy him forever. That's our purpose. If you come down to it, all what we do is to bring glory to God as a believer in Christ. We agree that is our, our mission, right? right? That, is our, that, that is our purpose of existence. We want to bring glory to God. Read with me a very popular scripture. Again, if you've been in church a while, you've heard this scripture several times. Maybe we can read this one together. I know we like to do that um, so often every week. This is 1 Corinthians 10.31. So let's read this one together nice and loud. Go ahead. So, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. Amen, amen is right. We work because we live for the glory of God, and as image bearers of God who works, we too work so that we can reflect Him. This means we need a God-centered view of work, right? We need to understand why we work, then we must understand that we, that we work and we have to reject the culture's idea and view of work and adopt God's, a God-centered view of work. Why? Because when we came into the family as adopted sons and daughters, we've left this world, right? Scripture tells us that we were of this world and so we thought of it, we thought like it, we acted like the world. But now he has taken us out, he has rescued us and so no longer do we function the way the world functions. No longer do we think or ride the way culture wants to ride and take us every which direction. We are now transformed in our views of marriage, in our view of work, in our view of family, in our view of how we raise our kids. Our view has become transformed as we have been transformed and made new. Right? In all things we do now, we do for who? For the glory of God. It's the glory of God that must inform us and transform us in our view of work. We can't view it the way culture does. Now, how does culture view work? All right. Culture tells us what? That work is ultimately for yourself. Right? That we work because at the end we got to get some benefit from it. 
right? We work because um, it's simply a means to an end. We work so that we can have money, get money, earn money so that we can achieve the American dream so our kids can live comfortably and we can, and, you know, we can accomplish that. We can have a house. Uh, we work so that we can, you know, be able to enjoy it. We pay college so that once college gets paid, we can, you know, enjoy our life. We work so that uh, we can enjoy long vacations. And at the end of it all, the very long vacation, right, as we retire, stress-free, work-free. And that's what the culture says. Hey, work now, work hard, because you want to you prepare yourself so that you can rest and have a great retirement in your later you know, years of your life. And that's what culture tells us. And I'm not saying any of that isn't wise. I'm not saying that we shouldn't plan and, and put away uh, money and plan for the future and be wise with that. There's wisdom in that. But culture tells us that's ultimately what work is all about, that end. That you accomplish that. But today, we're looking at it from God's view, right? That work has no end. Ouch. Someone's like, darn it. All right, whatever is it, is it that you call work today, do it for the glory of God because it's meaningful. All right, it might not be what you're passionate about. It might not be what you feel that God has called you to or you want to do for the rest of your life. But I tell you, whatever it is right now, do it for the glory of God. Because in it, you are reflecting your creator. As a son and daughter, you are to reflect your creator. You are to reflect his creativity if you work in the arts. You are to reflect in his goodness if you work in serving people. You are to reflect of God's uh, um, um, just amazing love if you work in, you know, as a teacher, whatever you do. You are to reflect your creator as God's child, reflect your father. So then, brothers and sisters, knowing all this, then how should we work? How should we work then if we know that we, are to, we work because God works? We work because we're made in his image and we are to reflect him. How then should we work? And we opened up with our scripture. I'm going to read it again for us. Ephesians 5, Ephesians 6, excuse me, verses 5 through 9. Let me go ahead and read that one more time. Slaves, obey your human masters with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as you would Christ. Don't work only while being watched as people pleasers, but work but as slaves of Christ. Do God's will from your heart. Serve with a good attitude. As to the Lord, not to people, knowing that whatever good each one does, slave or free, he will receive this back from the Lord. And masters, treat your slaves the same way, without threatening them, because you know that both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. One of the great dangers of reading the Bible, besides not reading it at all, right, um, is reading it out of context, or not knowing the context of which is written. All right, that's very dangerous, and it's the same with this text here. All right, I know some flags go up, and you read this right away, and you're like, oh, the Bible is saying slavery is good. They're allowing it. Paul doesn't reject it. Paul doesn't say, hey, free your slaves. What is, what is, God is allowing it. And so you're reading this out of context, and it could easily screw up everything. All right, and it could lead to anger. It could lead to someone rejecting God's word just based on that and saying God's word is full of hate. Christianity is full of hate. There it is. That's proof of that, that God would allow this stuff to go on. Um, and so we need to get this into context. And again, this is a lot to do in the time we have. I'm going to check the watch. And so, yeah, we got to speed up a little bit. And so I'm going to go ahead and do this. Danny's looking at me. Yeah, yeah. All right. So these five verses, I want us to know that in Paul, in the context Paul is writing in, um, basically one half of the population um, of the Roman Empire were slaves. And many of them had come to faith in Christ. And many of the masters, the leaders, have also come to faith in Christ. It's also important to note that um, during this time in the Roman Empire, um, the message of, of God's hope did not go to first the upper class. It was going towards the working class, towards the slaves, towards those in need. Right? And that's an important fact. I could spend a whole bunch of time on that, but we're not going to do that. All right? I also want to quickly point out 
that slavery, the slavery mentioned here, unlike what we've been taught or we understand in American culture, does not pertain to one race. All right, that's important to know. We're not talking about one race. All right, it's also important to know that slavery, um, in this time, most of the slaves were prisoners of war. All right, um, and also some of them actually sold themselves into slavery as a means to get out of debt. All right, so they owned something and they, they willingly became a slave so that they can get themselves out of that. Also, just quickly, under Roman law, all right, um, slavery, uh, slaves can normally be expected to be released by the age of, uh, by, after, by the age of 30, or normally seven years after being held as slaves. And so it wasn't, it's not what we think of and what we experience or what we know as, uh, in our American history, okay? And now again, I could spend a lot of time, if you want to talk about that later, um, feel free to come to me, I'll give you some sources, but we're not going to continue with that. But just know the context here, okay? The context is very important, all right? And it's not to say it wasn't a corrupt system, it was, and that's why Paul's talking about it. That's why he's mentioning it to the church, because it became a real question at the time. Hey, I have a slave. He, he's a believer. I'm a believer now. What should I do? How should we act towards one another? How should we relate to one another? And so Paul is attacking that, and he's writing on that. And so for us, in the context of employer and employees, how do we function as workers? How do we, how do we relate to our boss, whether they're Christian or not? We're going to get something from it today. So Paul's answering that question. Paul directly addresses both the slave and the master, the employee and employer here, um, and he shows them how they should be radically changed by their faith and the way they relate to one another. All right, we're cool? All right, good, good, good. So I want us to then look at how do we carry ourselves. And the first thing uh, I want I grabbed from this text today is that Jesus is primary in everything, including our work. Amen. Including our work. As a believer, your relationship with Jesus as your Lord and your Savior becomes a primary driving factor of everything you do. Everything you do. That means that Christ is the center of all that you think, all that you do. Paul drives this home numerous times in our text, but specifically here in verse 5. I want to read it again. Slaves, obey your human masters with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as you would Christ. All right. That word, those words, as you would Christ changes things here. All right. It reminds us that we should work as if we're working for Christ because we are. Remember that you're an image bearer of God and you reflect him. This includes all of us believers, not just those who work in the church. And I want to spend quick amount, a short amount of time again with that. It's a false belief, guys, that, that, we, that I believe myself that only, you know, the work that's done in, that truly matters to God is the work of the pastor, the work of the missionary. Those are the works that, you know, that God really cares about. Right. And that's simply not true. And it's not biblical. The Bible calls each and every believer in Christ a royal priest, that we are part of his royal priesthood. And 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10 says, but you are a chosen race, it's not in your bulletins, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Why? That you may proclaim the excellences of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Haven't each of us been called out of darkness? Right? You are a child of God. You are part of a royal priesthood you are we are a holy nation all who place their trust in jesus have what equal access to god it's not just me danny the missionary the leader the children you as a believer who's placed their faith in god you have access to god you are important and you are a, a, a priest and wherever you're at and so god has called you then to what and it said so that you may proclaim him all of our work therefore is set apart by god for his glory and his honor we have been declared righteous servants of God. I love that. Because of the cross of Jesus. 
So no matter what your vocation is, Jesus is primary, and the way we should work demonstra- should demonstrate that. In fact, while I was studying this, and Danny throws out a lot of Greek, and so I was like, I got to get my Greek game on. Um, so oh, Latin, it's not Greek, it's Latin, so I tried. Um, but the Latin root word for, for vocation is voca, and that literally means to call. All right, it means to call. And I found that interesting because, you know, we, 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 we willingly say, hey, that my vocation, and we don't recognize that that's your calling. That we, we, we that understand, man, you are called. And this played with me because I knew growing up in the church and when I knew God had called me and set me apart, and again, here's that word called, and we use that word, and we, what we do is we separate work, right, in our minds. Two categories. And these are the two categories that I've fallen into, um, that I have fallen into. Some of us might do that today, is we put work in two categories. The first one is those who do regular work, right, your regular work. This is regular work. And then those who are called to ministry. So we got two categories that we set up. Those who work, do regular work and those who are called into ministry. But the truth is, all of us have been called. All of us have been called to spread the message of hope and to receive that, that we received and to send it out and to proclaim it. Now, sure, some God has set some apart to be teachers, and we studied that, to, apost- to be apostles and to be prophets. And God has done that. We, we know that. We studied it. But the, the idea of this regular work and, and calling, we cannot separate that. All right, we've all been called. We've all been called. And now I mentioned I, I work in a regular nine to five job as well. So how does it look for me um, in doing that? God has given me some influence at my job and I thank him for it. But he's given it to me not because I'm a pastor and because I've made it known or anything like that. It's, oh, let's respect him in his role. No, but because I've asked God for favor. Because I've asked God, God, bless me as I go to this job. It's tough. But I need to know that, I, that you're with me and I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to proclaim your message. And God, help me to do that. Open my eyes to the mission field. And so I would encourage you to do that. God has blessed me with some amazing opportunities. I work in a government job. And so, man, it's, you know, like talk about faith is like, no, 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 no good. But not in my job, not in my office. God has opened up the door so much so that during our office lunches, they ask burials, can you lead us in prayer? Can you lead us in prayer? And you know I'm closing in Jesus' name. <laughs> And they asked me again, and they asked me again. And I've been approached by coworkers to pray for them privately. And I'm just saying this because, guys, we need to understand that your workplace is a calling from God, that you are called there to spread the gospel. You're there to work as a child of God to bring hope to those who are lost in your workplace. And so why? Because Jesus is primary in everything. And so I can't separate when I go to work what I, from what I do here at Swerve or what I do in the community or what I do at home. We cannot separate it. All right? Our attitude has to shift. Remind yourself that even in the workplace, Jesus has to be centered. All right, this leads us to number two. How then should we work, work honest and with a good attitude? Ephesians 6, 6 through 8. Don't work only while being watched as people pleasers, but as slaves of Christ. There it is again, Paul reminding us, as slaves of Christ, right, that Christ is primary. Do God's will from your heart. Serve with a good attitude as to the Lord and not to people. Knowing that whatever good each one does, slave or free, he will receive this back from the Lord. Paul says something there that at first when you read it might give you a little ouch, right? If that's you, if that you identify with that, right? When he says, hey, don't just work when they're watching you. Don't just work when they say, hey, get this done. And, you know, I'm going to check back at the end of the, by close of business to see if it's done, right? We should not be working just as people, please. But Paul's saying what? Again, as slaves of Christ. I want to give you a quick story. Some of you probably heard it before, but there's a, there was this old missionary couple who spent their lives in Africa. 
And they spent their entire lives spreading the gospel message in Africa. They, they gave their lives up. They moved out there. They had their home there. They lived there. They spent years there, poured out their lives in Africa as missionary, doing God's work there, as we would say, right? After many years, they felt that God had finally called them back home to New York and that their work was done in Africa. And so they hopped on a boat back to New York. And on the same boat, they realized that there was so much commotion and it wasn't for them, but it was for President Teddy Roosevelt, who had just come back or was heading back from a game of hunt. All right. And so there was a lot of uh, uh, buzz around that. But they noticed that, hey, no one even knew they were on the boat. No one cared they were on the boat. Now, as they headed back to New York and as the boat was quickly was was about to dock there, uh, they noticed that, again, there was a lot of excitement of people receiving you know, excited that the president was coming back. And they realized, again, no one even knew they were on the boat. They didn't care that they were on the boat. All the intention was on President Teddy Roosevelt, who was coming home from a game of hunting. And the husband said this to his wife. He said, dear, something is wrong. Why should we have given our lives and faithful service for God in Africa all these years? And yet no one cares much over, uh, cares about us. No one cares about us. Why should we have done that? Here this man comes back from a game of big hunt, and everybody makes much over him. His wife then replied, dear, you shouldn't feel that way. Try not to be bitter about it. But then he said, I just can't help it. It doesn't seem right. The man became more and more depressed as, depressed as they got home and as they struggled to find work now in New York. And, and it was just a struggle and a grind as they came back, and he couldn't sleep, and he became more and more depressed. And then one night his spirit broke, and he felt God had abandoned him. And it just wasn't fair. And he looked at his wife and he says, we don't have anyone here to help us. We have nowhere to go. All right. Why doesn't God meet our need? He, he told his wife. And his wife replied, why don't you go into the bedroom and talk to the Lord about the whole thing? It's a wisdom of a wife, right? Gosh. All right. A short time later, he came out of the bedroom. But now his face was happy. His wife asked, what happened? He said, I told the Lord the whole thing. I told him that it's not fair. I told him how bitter I was because the president received this tremendous homecoming when no one met us when we returned home. And you know what? As I finished, it seemed as though the Lord has put his hand on my shoulder and said simply, but you're not home yet. But you're not home yet. See, I believe that's the attitude that we need to go to the workplace with. Remembering that it is not our home and our reward is to come. And that when we finally go home, that it doesn't matter whether we are appreciated here. And though we, you know, I'm not saying to, to go to work and, and, and accept injustice, accept, you know, being treated unfairly. But our reward is not here. God watches. And as we work honest for, for him to please him, he will reward us. Be encouraged no matter what your job is. If you love it, if you love your job, thank God. All right. But if you're sitting here and this whole talk about work is causing you some anxiety and you struggle over it and you just can't, you know, you just can't see how, how God cares about what you're doing, be encouraged and, and, and hear Paul out. He's reminding us that from the Lord we will receive a reward. Even if your work is a drag, Paul says what? He says, get an eternal perspective. That's what Paul is saying. Don't work only because your boss is watching you. But work honest even when they're not because ultimately our focus needs to be upward. Right. Your focus needs to be not on your earthly boss. Right. Don't work hard, but work because your heavenly father will reward you. All right. Again, be prayerful and ask God for wisdom if you're struggling at your job. You know, if bosses aren't fair and whatever it is, you know, seek the better job. If that's something God is, you know, pushing you towards. Be wise in that. We're not saying stay stuck. 
all right? But we cannot keep the mindset that, hey, I need to get what I need to get now because that's the culture's view of work, right? But our work is not for that. It's for the glory of God. And so remind yourself that this is not for just now, but God will reward you. I was reminded of that this uh, week myself. Um, every two times a year at my job, we have like a, a midterm report basically and a, and a year-end report. It's a progress report. It's like what you get in school with your you know, report cards. And uh, so I had mine this week on Tuesday. Uh, and it was pretty cool because I'm prepping to, to teach on work. And so I had my, my midterm, whatever you report you call it. And uh, so I did well. My supervisor you know, expressed their appreciation for me and whatnot. Um, but then at the end of it, started to talk about, hey, um, just some recommendations and some things that uh, he has learned in his years of work. And he said this. He said something that was pretty cool. And I told him that I was going to use it today. Um, he said, hey, and it's very simple, but it was great. He said, we all leave impressions. Right? We all leave impressions. It might as well be a good one. It might as well be a good one. And it got me thinking because it's so true. More so for you and I as we reflect our Father. And so that convicted me. That hit me. And I start to think, man, am I doing that? Am I leaving that impression? Am I showing people my Father in heaven? Am I working honest and with a good attitude? And so I asked that same question to you. And our last point for today. Danny, I'm leaving you with no time. Work understanding we have one master. Work understanding we have one master. All right? And masters, treat your slaves the same way without threatening them because you know that both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no favoritism with them. Paul is speaking directly now to the employers. He's speaking to the boss. He's speaking to the supervisor. What he's basically saying in a, for, is that masters or for our, contact, for our context, right, bosses, employers, treat your employees as you would want to be treated. Right? Treat them with fairness. Treat them understanding their, where they're at. And treat them reasonable. Why? Because at the end of it all, as a believer, their belief, your belief, we all have the same master. Right? At the end of it all, Paul's reminding us with God, there's no favoritism. There's no division in God's family, but there's unity. We looked at that in Ephesians earlier, right? There's unity. We have one God, one faith, one hope. And this gives me great encouragement. Gives me great encouragement, encouragement, and and you might be saying, well, and I, it gives me my boss was is from what I know, it's not a believer, I and mean, everyone in the job isn't. And you might be saying, well, my boss, you don't know, they're definitely not a believer, Barry. It's like what well, he does, she does, not a believer. So how do how does this work out? Well, same. Because the Bible says one day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that He is Lord. And so whether you are a believer here today or not, we still have one master. You might feel like you're ruling over your your life, but at the end, one knee, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Christ is Lord. And so we all serve one master, and that gives me incredible hope as we know that when Christ returns, he will make all things new. And that includes our work. When he comes back to redeem all things, he will redeem all things. He will make all things new, and that includes our work. Another topic, a whole other area we can go. Work will continue on. In Revelation 22, 3, it tells us that Jesus, when he returns, that there will no longer be any curse. All things will be made new. And so quickly in closing, man, if you're here today, I just want to speak to you. I want to speak to you because what you're hearing today and what you heard throughout this series, if you've been here, is a life in Christ that is not just change or act a certain way in church. That does not just act a, way, a certain way when you're around the church folk. But what you've been hearing, what you heard today is a life that is radically changed from Christ outside of the church doors. That it is real, true transformation 
And it's a real new life in I, in you, as we become one, as we become one in Christ, as we are made new creations, as we are made new in Christ. And I want to encourage you, if that's you need, you need that today, that it's only done through Christ, as you place your faith in Jesus, in Jesus alone. Only through Him can we be transformed and truly made new. And I want to ask, are you new today? Have you been made new? How has Jesus done this? He's done it in His love for you and I, that He left His throne, right? He left his throne in heaven and he entered earth and he worked. He worked as a carpenter, but he also worked in redeeming you and I and the fathers, doing the fathers well. As he willingly laid down his life for your sin and my sin and the sins of the world. There is pain in this world, there is corruption, there is suffering, and there is death. But Jesus came so that you and I might not have to experience death again. He died on the cross and it was Jesus who absorbed the full wrath of God, right? It was him who absorbed it all. So that you and I don't have to. And he took on the full penalty of our sin as he died our death. And so today I ask, do you acknowledge Christ? Do you acknowledge his death on the cross for your sin? Do you acknowledge that you are a sinner in need of a savior? And three days after, all right, after his crucifixion, what takes place? Brothers and sisters, he has risen from the grave. And he's alive today, victorious over our sin and death. So that you and I can have victory over our death. Through him, all who places their trust in Christ, there's a promise of all things being made new. Just declare with your lips that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. Believe it in your heart and you will be saved. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you that God, you are a God of purpose, that you create, that you have created all things and you've created all things with a purpose. I pray that you would help me and help my brothers and sisters to see our work as a reflection of our relationship with you. I ask that you would help me to honest, work honestly, to work hard, to work without complaint, but with an attitude of thankfulness. Help us, God, that though we have challenges and pain at work in this present time, help us to rejoice in knowing that in your coming, all things will be made new. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.